Life on this earth is no dress rehearsal. We get just one chance at it, and when it's gone, it's gone. So what sort of a legacy do you want to leave behind when your life is gone? And are you living the sort of life that will indeed deliver the legacy you're after? Hi, I'm Bernie Diamond, and thank you so much for joining me again on Christianity Works. Today we're kicking off a new series of messages called Living the Sort of Life that Leaves a Lasting Legacy of Love. So let's do it. Let's head into God's Word. Right at this moment, there are just over 7 billion people living on planet Earth a number that's going up every day. Today, just over 360,000 babies will be born into the world and just over 150,000 people will die. So that's a net population growth of people on planet Earth of around 210,000 a day or around 75 million people a year. They're big numbers to contemplate, especially when all you and I see is the small subsection of that 7 billion people that live on the earth around where we live. And in all of human history, they tell us that just over 100 billion people have been born on the earth. And each of those 100 billion people have left a legacy. For many of them, the most obvious legacy that they've left is their children who've had their own children, who in turn have had children, and so the human legacy of people is the most obvious thing we leave behind. You and I are descended from an incredibly long line of people, and the vast majority of those we've never even heard of. Suffice to say that our DNA, the genes laid down on each strand, is a complex pea soup made up of the physical legacy of an incalculable number of people. So that's the most obvious legacy that most people leave behind. But there's also the legacy of our lives, the impact we've had on the people around us, the impacts that have rippled laterally across to other people and vertically down through the generations. As an extreme example, it's reasonable to expect that historically and emotionally, Adolf Hitler has had quite a different impact on the world compared, say, to Mother Teresa. Would you agree? Some people have left astounding legacies behind them and others have left terrible ones. And then there's just ordinary folk like you and me. We leave legacies behind too. Some of us leave a good legacy behind and others not so good. And others leave behind a terrible legacy, a legacy of abuse and hatred that reverberates down through many generations to come. It's just worth stopping to think about these things for a while, isn't it? Because the question that all this stuff causes me to ask of myself is this. What sort of legacy will I end up leaving behind? And you, what about you? What sort of legacy will you end up leaving behind, huh? Have you ever wondered that? The impact that we have on the people closest to us, our parents, our spouse, our children, our friends, our work colleagues, our neighbours, our community, what sort of a legacy will you and I leave behind for them? That's the question, and that's why today we're kicking off a brand new series of messages that I've called Living a Life That Leaves a Lasting Legacy of Love. It's a bit of a mouthful, I know, but I guess my central premise here is that if we want to leave something good behind, then we have to live the sort of life that's going to achieve that outcome. And the greatest legacy that we can leave behind is a lasting legacy of love. You and I are each a mixed bag. We have some good attributes, some particular strengths in our makeup handed down through our DNA and, and shaped and refined by our experience. And then we have some weaknesses too, some not so nice things about who we are. 
the question is, which one of those is going to shape the legacy that we leave behind? And the answer is the one that we allow to dominate our lives. Each of us will leave some legacy, something that we imprint on our children. If you're a person who's, say, constantly afraid, a warrior, then the chances are that a great deal of that is going to rub off onto your children. On the other hand, if you're a real encourager, someone who's always building up other people, then that is totally going to change how your children see themselves, and that impact will ripple down through the generations. So, so it's how we live our lives that impacts not just our children, but the many other people around us. The smallest act of kindness can utterly change a life. The smallest act of service can totally transform someone's world. And that, my friend, is something that can ripple across the world, down through the generations, in ways that we simply can't begin to comprehend. And this isn't just Bernie rambling on. It's exactly what God says in his word, the Bible. Have a listen to the Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20, verses 5 and 6. God says this, You shall not bow down to worship false gods, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing children for the iniquity of their parents to the third and fourth generations of those who reject me, but showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. It's true, you see it all the time. Sin ripples down a few generations. A man who's an alcoholic is likely to have a son who's an alcoholic. A man who beats his wife or his children is likely to produce a son who does exactly the same. Our sin impacts not just us, not just our immediate family, it impacts the legacy that ripples down to the generations to come. But note please here the grace and the mercy and the power of what God's saying. See, our unfaithfulness to God only goes down three to four generations. But if we're faithful to him, if we worship him and live our lives as best we can for him, then the fruit of that faithfulness means that God shows his steadfast love to the thousandth generation. That's a way of saying forever. A thousand generations is like about 25,000 years My friend, it may be that you're dealing with the generational impact of the sin of your parents, your grandparents. It may be that there's a spiritual hold over you of violence or of low self-esteem or of fear or of timidity or of pride. Generational sin that has been handed down to you from your ancestors. But God's word is clear. You and I can break that cycle by repenting, by turning our lives around and worshipping and honouring Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And that's what we're going to be talking about in this series, breaking the power of this generational sin and leaving a lasting legacy of love. It's great to want to have a positive impact in this world. It's fantastic for us to want to leave behind a lasting legacy of love. But, and and here's the big but, we can't live the sort of life that's going to leave that lasting legacy if we're drowning in negative emotions. I recently went out to my Facebook friends and asked them, what sort of negative emotions should I talk about on my radio programs? Are you sitting down? Here's what they came up with. Here's the list. Bitterness, anger, disappointment, fear, low self-esteem, envy, lust, cynicism, bad body image, pride, unfaithfulness, dishonesty, greed, regret, guilt, shame, being money-hungry, hate, prejudice, judgment, 
self-pity, worry, self-loathing, jealousy, possessiveness, being untrusting, being unable to share, unable to delegate, unable to open up, the fear of being vulnerable, inability to love. Hey, that's, that's not a bad list. I'm sure that you can think of a few more too. Someone who's caught up in a continual disappointment, for instance, is like someone who's carrying around their own personal rain cloud with them 24 by 7. Someone who has a poor self-image of themselves is likely to be untrusting and unable to share their emotions. When we're caught up in those negative emotions, we simply aren't going to be able to shine a ray of love and sunshine into someone else's life, are we? When we're caught up in those negative emotions, when we're drowning in them, we aren't going to be able to live the sort of life that leaves a lasting legacy of love in the lives of the people with whom we come into contact. And these negative emotions feed off one another. Let me come back to disappointment just as an example. If you're someone who is constantly disappointed with people, situations, circumstances, your lot in life, how you look, the things that you're not able to do, whatever it is, if you're someone who's constantly disappointed, how are you going to view the world? Well, first up, you're going to be envious of everyone who has something that you don't. Secondly, you're going to be overly critical of people. Often the passive-aggressive sort of person is talking criticism and discontent to themselves all the time. And when that's the stuff that you're feeding on, when that's the stuff that's flowing around inside you, you'll start loathing yourself. You'll be angry with yourself and with the rest of the world. You'll pity yourself. You'll worry about how you're ever going to feel better and you can find yourself on a path towards depression. How's that for a chain reaction? But it's true, isn't it? This is the self-life, the inner life that many people live. They're literally drowning in a sea of negative emotions. Can I ask you, what negative emotions are eating away at you right now? What negative emotions are pumping poison through your system? What negative emotions are you struggling with, wondering, What's the answer? Wondering, what's the solution? Wondering where to turn and what to do. There's an old proverb that comes from the Bible, Proverbs chapter 17, verse 22, that says this, A joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. It's a terrible picture, that that picture of, of dried up bones. The hardest thing to do with negative emotions is to admit them to ourselves. I used to be driven by greed and pride and anger. I would never admit them to myself. I kind of knew about the anger, but constantly justified it to myself. But the greed and the pride, I didn't even realise that I was greedy. And the pride, well, it wasn't pride. It was just that I was smarter than the rest of you. It's just that I was quicker than the rest of you, more competent than the rest of you. And because I'm naturally good with words and not afraid to act, I was a right pain in the you-know-what to the people around me. My friend, the hardest thing to do is to admit these negative emotions to ourselves. But when we do, when we take a good hard look in the mirror and say, yep, in that list that Bernie prattled off on the radio today, three of those, no, actually, it was four of those, they absolutely describe me. When we get to that point, now all of a sudden, we can do something about them. Do you want to hear that rather depressingly long list again? Just just so that you can pick out the ones that you know you're dealing with. Here it is again. Bitterness, anger, disappointment, fear, low self-esteem, envy, lust, cynicism, bad body image, pride, unfaithfulness, dishonesty, greed, regret, guilt, shame, being money hungry, hate, 
prejudice, judgment, self-pity, worry, self-loathing, jealousy, possessiveness, being untrusting, being unable to share, unable to delegate, unable to open up, fear of becoming vulnerable, inability to love. Which ones amongst those, that little lot, do you own? Because the moment you own them, admit them and say, yep, that's me, you can begin to disarm their power over your life and over your legacy. My friend, Jesus came to set you free from each and every negative emotion that robs you of your life, of your love, and of your legacy. The very first time that Jesus got up to preach in his local synagogue at the beginning of his public ministry, he unrolled the scroll to the book of Isaiah, chapter 61. And this is what he read to the assembled masses. He was telling them why he, the Son of God, had come to this earth. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me, he has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. They will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord to display his glory. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They will repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. My friend, he came to set you free. He came to restore you to wholeness, to bind up your broken heart, to proclaim his favour upon you, to comfort you, to give you a garland instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. Do you get it? Jesus came for you and he can take away every negative emotion. He can plant you as an oak of righteousness to display his glory and he can restore your former devastations and even repair the devastations of many generations, those devastations that have been handed down to you. It's Jesus living in and through you that gives you the power to overcome those negative emotions and to live the sort of life that's going to leave a lasting legacy of love. Yeah, on a clear day, you can absolutely see forever. Have you ever been on the top of a mountain on a day when the sun's shining, when there's not a cloud in the sky, when there's no mist, there's no smog, there's nothing to obscure your view? You can see a long, long way on days like that from a vantage point like that. In fact, those are the two things that impact how far we can see, how clear the day is and how high up we are. For instance, if you're an average height, so let's say just under six foot, at ground level, you'll be able to see for 2.9 miles or 4.7 kilometres before the curvature of the earth takes that view away from you. But if you're up on a high mountain, say 15,000 feet or about 5,000 metres, you'll be able to see almost 150 miles. That's about 240 kilometres. So altitude has a lot to do with it, as does obviously the clarity of the atmosphere. I mean, I've been in my car sometimes in a fog where I can't even see from the driver's seat to the front of my car. So the atmosphere has a lot to do with it, but so does our altitude. And the same is true in life. And that's what we're going to explore right now 
It all has to do with vision. It's all about altitude and clarity. But all too often in life, we don't have that many mountaintop experiences, do we? When we're down in the trenches, battling to make it through each day, with all the pressures, all the challenges, all the emotions, all that stuff that's going on, it's so easy to lose sight of where we're going, and we become completely immersed in it. You do that day after day, month after month, year in and year out, and what you find is that you're struggling. You're wandering around aimlessly in this forest, trying to remember, now, now, now where was it that I was headed again? Have you ever been to a sporting match, whether it's cricket or whatever football you follow, whatever it is, there's a big difference between having a seat on the sidelines, being at ground level, and paying more for a seat and sitting up in the stands where you can look down on the whole field of play. When, when you're up there looking down, you can see the whole thing. It all makes sense. But when you're on one of those ground level seats, it's actually very difficult to figure out what's going on. And let me tell you, when you're actually on the playing field, playing the game, in the middle of it, when you're tired, when you're exhausted, when you get a bit hurt, bumped, knocked, bruised, it's even harder to know what's going on. That's the phenomenon that happens. Down here in the trenches, it's actually about a hundred times more difficult than it looks from the mountaintop. And that's how it is in our lives because we're down on the field. We're in the middle of the action. We're tired, emotional, confronted with challenges. We're positioned so that it's really hard to see the big picture. The big picture for most of us looks something like this. When we get to the end of our lives, we want to be able to look back on a life that's had an impact for good. We want to be able to look back on a life that's touched other people's lives in a positive way. Where we've used our gifts and abilities to make a real difference in this world, whatever that difference may be. And we want to look back on a life that we know is going to leave a lasting legacy of love in the lives of people we leave behind when we depart this earth. It's pretty much it. When it's all said and done, that's what most of us want out of life. That sense of fulfilment at having done the best we could with who we were and what we were given. But down in the trenches, during the battle, during the game, how easy is it to lose sight of that? How easy is it simply to plod along each day doing the things we know we have to do to get by, doing the things that we have to do to earn a living and bring up the children without that sense of purpose or direction, without that vision from up on high, a vision for the future, a vision for where we want to end up at the end. We suffer from pressures, stresses, emotional conflict, illness, tiredness, exhaustion, everything I've mentioned so far you're getting, right? And so we're slogging through it all. You're in the middle of your jungle right now, carving a path, exploring the next thing, working hard at it, so in the middle of your battles, your life, let me ask you right now, when was the last time you sat on a mountaintop and looked out and wondered, what's the vision for my life? Where do I want to end up? If you're like most of us, the answer is not in a long time because all those immediate urgent things crowd out any sense of vision. Altitude and clarity is what's required. Rising up above our circumstances, being still, thinking, looking, planning, dreaming about the sort of life that you want to end up having lived by the time you get to the end of it, whenever that may be. Come on, that's what we all want. This is the one life you get to live on this earth, and it's time to set it on a course, to have a vision for your life. What's my life about? What impact am I going to have? How do I want to live it? And what legacy 
do I want to leave behind? The Bible says this, without vision, the people perish. Without vision, you and I can end up having lived a wasted life. That is such a tragedy. That's perishing. And I'm not talking here about being arrogant or being self-serving for your own life. I'm talking here about the sort of vision that comes from God, who after all made you who you are. He's already figured out what he wants you to do. He's already planned everything for your life. James writes this in the New Testament. James chapter 4, verses 13 to 16. Come now, you say to yourselves, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or do that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. A vision without God in the picture is nothing more than a boast. For me, the vision for my life is all about discovering the plan that God has already in his heart. He knows the plans he has for us. That's what he says, Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. God knows the plans he has for you. And my friend, they're good plans. They're fantastic plans. They're plans for your welfare. I live as busy a life as any of us. There are so many things that conspire to crowd out any sense of the plan that God has for my life. If I allowed it, I could go days and weeks and months and years just peddling hard, working hard, and completely losing sight of the vision that God wants me to have for my life. And friend, that's why most mornings, while most other people are still asleep, you'll find me alone, quietly sitting in my study, in my favourite comfortable chair, reading my Bible, speaking with God, hearing what he has to say, thinking about what he has to say, going back to my Bible, reading it again, being encouraged by him, being strengthened by him, being led by him. I can't begin to imagine what my life would be like if I didn't spend time in God's word and in his presence praying. My friend, how are you living your life? Do you have a sense of the vision that you need to have for your life? Do you know where it's going? Do you know where you want to be at the end? What's God's plan for you? Have you asked him? Is the vision before you? Friend, without vision, people perish. You've been listening to Christianity Works with Bernie Dimet. Before we go, there's something truly important that I need to share with you. This podcast is only made possible through the prayer and support of friends like you. Each week, millions of people hear about Jesus through Christianity Works radio and television broadcasts and through podcasts just like this one. Your generous gift of support today will help take the gospel of Jesus Christ far and wide around the globe. Just stop by at ChristianityWorks.org and click the donate button. And when you do give, don't forget to request your free copy of this month's latest life application e-booklet. Thank you so much for your generous gift of support today. Again, that web address is ChristianityWorks.org. I'm Jennifer. We'll catch you again next time. <laughs>